That is the American dream in a nutshell. And the average American citizen is actually pursuing that. Value number five of the average American citizen, working at a job you love. Working at a job you love. Now, what was interesting is I was, you know, doing some study on this. Over 80% of the average American does not actually enjoy their job. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So they're not achieving uh, this value. Value number four of the average American citizen, equal opportunity. We still see this America as the land of opportunity, the land where you can, you know, have a chance if you're willing to work hard, and that's a good thing. Value number three. Value number three, the average American citizen is enjoying a good marriage. Now, again, what's of interest here is that we want to find someone special in our lives that we can share our lives with, but that doesn't generally involve kids because kids cramp. Our lifestyle, kind of interesting. Value number two of the average American. Value number two is individual freedom. No surprise there. We Americans still value freedom. We still believe it's an inalienable right that we are free. And finally, the number one value of the average American citizen. Anybody know what it is? Anybody know what the number one value? And this really did shock me. So I think someone did say it. Good health. Good health, can you, it was number one over and over on various lists to have good health. And this is again reflective, by the way, of the baby boomer. The baby boomer, most of us are baby boomers in here, uh, you know, uh, we're the largest segment of the American population. And guess what? We're getting old. No, and the baby boomer's terrified. The baby boomer's terrified of, uh, of, you know, getting some sort of disease, terminal illness. We're afraid of dying. We want to have quality of life, and so it's interesting that that makes the number one value of the average American citizen. Well, there it is. Now, here's the big question. You know what the big question is? What does Jesus think about this? What does Jesus think about this? What does Jesus think about the average American values that most of us are pursuing? Well, we don't have to guess because we see it in Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. Skip, can you put it up? He says this, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. In other words, what we value doesn't matter to heaven. Do you realize that Jesus would say that most or the average American is just wasting their life? They're wasting their life on things that ultimately will not matter will not matter whatsoever. So the obvious question is, what does God value when it comes to you and I? Have you ever thought about that? What does God value? So I just want to spend the rest of the morning. What does he value? Have you ever wondered that when it comes to you and I? Well, you know, when I got saved 35 years ago, when I came to Jesus Christ, I, you know, was kind of a rabid follower. I was very excited and, you know, I wanted to be a great follower of Jesus. And, and so I had this uh, kind of college pastor. He sort of was discipling me at my first church that I went to, First Southern Baptist in Tucson, Arizona. And I remember asking him one time, you know, what does it take to really be a good follower of Jesus? What do I need to do? And what do I need to be to be all in for Jesus? You know, and I thought he would probably hand me a theology book or, you know, maybe he'd tell me to read the Bible. Bible through in one year. That was big back then. Or I thought, you know, maybe he would tell me to clean up my language, which was atrocious at the time. Or I thought maybe he would tell me to quit bartending, which I was bartending. Can you believe that? God saved and I was still bartending. But he didn't tell me any of those things. 
Instead, he asked me one question. Here's the question he asked me. How would you, Frank, spend your time if God were in charge of it? How would you, Frank, spend your time if God were in charge of it? I thought, is he asking me to be a monk? To join a monastery? I mean, that's how I was thinking. Then I went to seminary and I actually got the answer. Interestingly enough, though, I was too immature to actually grasp what the professor was saying. And the professor at one point said this, Men, you must make a choice in life. Will your life be about what you want to achieve or what you want to become or will become as a person? Will your life be about what you want to achieve or who you will become as a person? I sadly chose the former. I chose achievement. Now, it's not too surprising considering that I came from a highly professional family and it was beaten to me that you are nothing. You are nothing if you don't achieve something. And sadly, even seminary kind of promoted that idea. And I want you to know, and anyone that's been with me here for 21 years in Bethlehem Community Church knows it almost destroyed me in my marriage. Sadly. Almost destroyed me in my marriage. And I want you to know this morning that right now, if your life is about achievement, you will never understand God. You will never understand God. You will never understand what he's trying to do in your life. And sadly, you know what's even the most sad of all? You will never really experience his pleasure, his pleasure, and his presence in your life if you make it your life about achievement. You see, God is concerned about who you are becoming. God is concerned about the kind of person Frank Ray is becoming. And you want proof of that? I'll give you proof. It's in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Most of us know how the Sermon on the Mount begins. It begins with the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 and verses 3 through 10. And I'd like to briefly go through each one of those Beatitudes because that tells us what God is really looking for, what he values in a human being. So Jesus starts off and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to ask you this morning, do you see yourself as poor? Do you see yourself as poor? Skip, can you put up the picture? You know, when we think of a poor person, we tend to think of it this way. That is one aspect of being poor, but poor is much more than that. In fact, Jesus says that every single person in this room, every single person out there is really poor. And the great tragedy is most of us don't recognize that we, in fact, are really poor. You know, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're called the synoptic synoptic gospels, you see the story of Jesus blessing the children. And I'm going to look at it in Mark chapter 10. Skip, can you put up those verses? He says this, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never, ever enter it. 
Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He is saying that unless you and I enter the kingdom of God, if we want to enter the kingdom of God, it must be like a little child. Let me ask you this question. What distinguishes a child from an adult? Number one answer is innocence. Ding, thanks for playing, though. That was a good answer. Trust, another good answer. Dependence would be the correct answer. Children are dependent, and they know that they are dependent. Now, you know what story always follows in the synoptic gospel, the story of Jesus blessing the children? Does anybody know it? It always follows. There's a story that always follows this story. Nope. Thanks for playing, though. That was good. Anybody else? There's always one story that follows the story of Jesus blessing the children. It's a story of the rich young man. Interesting, isn't it? And the rich young man asked Jesus this question, verse 17 of Mark. He says this, watch this. As Jesus started on his way after blessing the children, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must, do you see the contrast here? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Answer, you can absolutely do nothing. You're incapable of doing anything. Jesus is saying to the rich young man, you are broken. You are profoundly broken. You are like Humpty Dumpty. Skip, can you put that up? Do you know Do you know the rhyme? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. What that means is human government. I wish we just had an election. Everybody's thinking everything's riding on the election. This nursery rhyme tells you, foolish, all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Government can't solve your problem. Human ingenuity can't solve your problem. Guess what? The only one who can put the pieces of your life back together is Jesus. You must become dependent upon Jesus. See, are you there yet? Are you really there? Do you think you're there? Let me ask you two profound questions. Two questions that are absolutely vital to determine who you are relying on to put you together and keep you together. Here you go. Question number one. Question number one is this. Where do you find your security? Where do you really find your security? Question number two. Where do you find your significance? Seriously, where do you really find your significance? Because see, if it isn't Jesus, if it is not Jesus, you are going to be in trouble. Happy, Jesus said. Blessed, Jesus says. Victorious are those who are truly dependent and have a dependent heart upon him. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, the rest of the Beatitudes logically follow from the first one. Let's put up the second one. Let me give you the second value of the kingdom of heaven, the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He says this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed, happy, victorious are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, for they shall be Comforted. What Jesus is talking about here is truly happy, truly victorious will be those people who have a broken heart. Those people who can be convicted. Those people who just feel incredible sorrow and remorse. 
and brokenness over when they do something wrong, when they do something that is selfish, when they do something that is independent. And it not only hurts them, but it hurts the people around them, and it hurts God. You know, there are two kinds of people in this world. The two kinds of people are not the guilty and the not guilty. The two kinds of people in this world are those that are guilty and feel conviction. I mean, when you do something wrong, and you hurt somebody else, when you know that it separates you from God, that you are deeply repentant and remorseful. The second kind of person is the person who does something wrong, who does something selfish, who does something independent and really has very little conviction about him. How tragic that is for that person. Jesus says, blessed are you, happy are you, when you have a heart that can feel conviction, a heart that is broken. He says, how blessed you will be indeed. Let's move to the third value, the third value of the citizen of heaven. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5 this, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So many of us read that as blessed, you know, are the doormats. That's not what he's saying. The Greek word is praeus. And now listen to this. Praeus means that you surrender your will to the will of your master. Listen to me again. Praeus, meek, means that you surrender your will fully and totally to the will of your master. Question, who really is your master? I don't want anybody to kid themselves this morning. If you have a dependent heart and you have a broken heart, then you will have a surrendered heart to Jesus. You will be obedient to him. You will be obedient to him, and so will I. Well, let's go on to the next. Jesus says this, the next value, the citizen of heaven. He says, blessed are those who hunger and they thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the fourth value of the citizen of heaven. Let me ask you a question. What are you really thirsty for? What are you really thirsty for? You know, the reason why most of us are thirsty, that's not the problem, but the reason why most of us are thirsty and not satisfied is because we thirst after the wrong thing or we hunger after the wrong thing. In fact, 2,700 years ago, the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. You see, it's not wrong to be thirsty. But you see, you will be victorious. Jesus says the reason why the dependent heart wins. The reason why the broken heart wins. The reason why the submissive heart wins is because they then thirst after, they hunger after the right things, eternal things. Not temporal things, but eternal things. And that heart will be satisfied. Your thirst then will be satisfied. So that is the fourth value of the citizen of heaven. They thirst. They thirst and their heart is satisfied because they thirst for the right things. Jesus then gives us the fifth value of the citizen of heaven in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. He says this, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Anybody here perfect? Anybody here never need the help of another person? 
Well, then see, you need mercy. You need mercy and I need mercy. And by the way, if you want God to be merciful to you, then you must give mercy. And you see, mercy has the ability to look beyond the fault of a person and see their need. Mercy has the ability to see past the fault of a person and look to their need. Am I saying, therefore, that mercy ignores sin? No, I am not. I am saying that first, mercy sees the need of a person, and then it will deal with the fault. We see this, by the way, in John chapter 8. It's a great story. In John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching in the temple. He's teaching in the temple precincts. And suddenly, the religious leaders throw this woman down at his feet. Skip, can you put up the picture? Can you see the picture there? There she is. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're all around this woman. They've picked up stones. They're ready to stone her for adultery. Jesus sees her need. And he says to the Pharisees and he says to the Sadducees, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead. You pick up the first stone and go ahead and stone her. And the text says one by one, they drop their stones. And after they had all left, Jesus said, looked at the woman and he said, neither do I condemn you. You see, mercy is not interested in destroying people. Mercy is interested in redeeming people. But then please notice what Jesus then said to her. He said, go and sin no more. Do you know sin is in the singular? See, you know what this woman's real problem was? She was looking for men to fulfill her thirst. Wasn't working. He said, go and sin no more, meaning I want you to stop looking for these men to fulfill your thirst, to find your security and significance. I want you to start trusting in me, the answer to your life. And he says, when you do this, when you do this, see, when you hunger and when you thirst after right things, then you are satisfied. And Jesus tells us that when we are satisfied, so when my heart is truly, truly dependent and it is broken and it is submissive and surrendered to Jesus, then I will hunger and thirst after right things and then I will be a merciful person. Let's move to the sixth, the sixth value. The sixth value of a citizen of heaven is this. Blessed, I love this, are the pure in heart for they will see God. You know, when we think of purity, we genuinely, you know, tend to think of, oh, we're talking about being moral, and it can have that, you know, it can mean that. But generally, purity means something different. You know what it means, really? It means not to be mixed. Not to be mixed. How many here like coffee? Raise your hands high, because I want to ruin your morning, Okay. You know, in, in, before the K-cups, you know what they used to do? They used to put those pound cans of coffee, you know? Do you know according to the FDA, you're allowed to have so many cockroach heads, legs, wings? No, this is true, per pound. And so there you are, you're drinking your morning coffee, and you see two eyeballs looking at you. See, the FDA says it's fine, just as long as you don't have too many cockroach heads looking at you. Does purity matter to you now? Does purity matter? You better believe it, man. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are focused on the right thing. You know what the right thing is? Jeffrey gave it to us last week. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. 
for to me to live is Christ. <laughs> and if I'm living for Christ, then it's going to be great when I die. Why? Because I gained Christ. I gained Christ. I gained the very thing that I was living for. Do you know, by the way, that's the only thing that works in that equation? Try money. For to me, to live is money and to die is, whoops, nothing, zero in the hand. Try it. Try to put anything else in that equation and it doesn't work. Jesus says, those who are citizens of heaven get it. They understand that none of this matters. They are focused. They are focused on the eternal. They are focused on Jesus. They are focused on his kingdom. And get it. Now listen to this. And you know what? In the end, you get the greatest prize of all. You will see God face to face. The glory of God in the face of Jesus. The seventh value now very quickly of the citizen of heaven is this. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called children of God. Let's talk about your words for a moment. Let's talk. Words are powerful. What do your words do? Do your words create peace? Do your words create reconciliation? Do your words really motivate people? Do they cause them to do good? Or do your words cause division and strife and turmoil? Come on. Which one do your words do? You know, it's approaching Christmas time. Love Christmas time. One of the great Christmas passages comes 2,700 years ago from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. He wrote these words. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Why is Jesus the Prince of Peace? I'll tell you why Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Because he is peace. Know Jesus, K-N-O-W, and you will know peace in here. No, don't kid yourself. Too many people think they're saved and born again, and they're not. If you know Jesus, then you know peace. And out of your mouth will come love and joy and peace patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Don't tell me that you know the Prince of Peace if those things aren't running in your life. You've just kidded yourself. Know Jesus, you reject Jesus, or you really haven't surrendered to Jesus. Know Jesus, then you don't have peace in here. And guess what reigns inside you? <coughs> Anger, bitterness, revenge, jealousy, lust, greed, strife, wonderful stuff. No, no, that's what comes out. That's why, that's why relationships are in trouble. You couldn't, if you don't have peace in here, you can't have peace in your relationships. Oh, oh, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you if your heart is full of peace, for then you shall be a peacemaker. You shall be called a son of God, a child of God. Ask the people around you. No, ask them, what do you really bring? Do you bring a whirlwind? Come on. Do you bring a whirlwind? Or do you really bring peace to a situation? Finally, value number nine of the citizen of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus is saying? Blessed is the courageous heart. Blessed are those people who are willing to stand up for me. 
in the public square? You in high school? You in middle school? You in college? You willing to stand up for Jesus? Are you? You willing to bring your Bible? Are you willing to wear a shirt that says honk if you love Jesus? I got a, I think a bumper sticker, I don't know what it is, on the back of my car it says, uh, if you're dry, do you drive this, cl- how does it go again? If, 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 if you're driving, do you, drive, do you follow Jesus as close as you are to me? It's a good one, I got it on my bumper, you want, you want it? It's a good thing to have. How about you if you're an adult? Really, are you willing to stand up for Jesus in the marketplace? Are you? Got your Bible out there? Maybe you got some scriptures on the wall? People in your family know? People in your neighborhood know? How about your coworkers? If I went to your, if I went to your place of work and I said, hey, do you know Matt Malassi? Yeah, I know him. He's a Christian. Are you kidding me? Wow. I never knew that. See, I don't want to hear that. So you might get a call from me this week. Love to have lunch with you. Can I meet you at your workplace? No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. Too much pressure. Jesus says, if you're willing to stand up and be courageous, then you'll be persecuted. But look what he says in verse 12. It'll be worth it. Here we go. We're closing down. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. It'll be all worth it. So let me challenge you. Here's the challenge. Skip, can you put up? I want you to be serious now. Here are the top 11 American values of the citizen of America. Is this you? Or do you match up? Do you match up with the nine values of the citizen of heaven? Which one is it? You can look at those in Matthew chapter 5. Which one? Let me tell you, your eternal destiny hangs in the balance here. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance about which one's true. Lord, I just pray right now for everyone here. I feel in many ways this is the message that the American church needs to hear. Because we baptized, what we've done is we've baptized American values and made them Christian, and they're not. You said you detest them for the most part. What you're interested in is what kind of person are we becoming? Are we looking each and every day, each and every week, each and every year, more and more like Jesus? Do I really have a dependent heart like Jesus did? He was totally dependent on you, Father. He said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. Do we have a broken heart? He didn't have to have a broken heart. He was just broken, though, over all of the sin that he saw and the individuality and the selfish decisions and Jesus was broken. May we be broken over ours. May we mourn. May we lead to a submissive heart where we just surrender to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do this anymore. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. And well, it will lead us to hungering, thirsting after eternal things, no longer temporal things that are just going to burn. And that will lead us to having a merciful heart. And then a pure heart that will just be focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And it will lead to us having a peaceful heart. And finally, it will lead us to having a courageous heart. One that will stand up for what is right. Standing up for Jesus and his kingdom. 
I pray that for each and every person here. And I ask for this in your precious name.